Hey guys, Zach here, and I wanted to let you guys know that Fieldwork is brought to you in part by General Mills. General Mills is partnering with farmers and suppliers to advance regenerative ag practices on a million acres of farmland by 2030. I am Zach Johnson. And I'm Mitchell Hora. And this is the Fieldwork Podcast, podcast by farmers, for farmers, that really digs into sustainable egg practices and implementing that on your farm. Basically professional podcasters. That's yeah, what that's what we are. We're still working on that. We're getting pretty good at it. We're working towards an official helicopter, and they keep, they think we're joking. Oh, next interview is in a helicopter. Season two, live from the helicopter. If we got a helicopter, this we're going to do them good. all from the helicopter. Well, yeah. Chopper talk. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So today's topic, one of my uh, favorites here, near and dear to my heart, soil health. And uh, talking about dirt. Talking about Making dirt. Making good dirt. Don't. Uh, don't dirt to soil. That's, that's right. Don't want. treat your soil like dirt. That's what we want. So got a good guest on here today from the Soil Health Partnership. Excited to discuss some of the work that they've been doing. Uh, to improve soil health and to do research that as farmers like Zach and I and all of you listening, we can actually take that information and implement it onto our farms. Yeah. I mean, as farmers, obviously we care about soil health, always have and always will. I mean, that's how we make our livelihood. Um, There's a lot of stats out there that talk about, uh, you know, losing topsoil and, and some of the things we can do to prevent that. Um, we've we've heard the stat that that talks about how we're losing ten times we're losing our topsoil ten times quicker than we're we're making it. Obviously, that's a pretty broad anecdotal statement, um, but it's definitely something that that needs attention, and that's what we're here to talk about. And uh, today, we're going to talk about that exact thing. We're going to talk about soil health. Yeah, Jim Iserman is with us. He is the soil health partnership field manager for Northern Illinois. He raises cattle and he farms using corn, soybeans, and wheat on the farm. And uh, he's joining us via Skype. Jim, thanks a lot for joining us here today on the Fieldwork Podcast. All right. Well, appreciate being on the program with you guys. Jim, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the work you do with Soil Health Partnership? Give us a little background there. So the Soil Health Partnership is a uh, demonstration research and outreach initiative from the National Corn Growers Association. We're in over 14 states now. We're looking at those long-term effects with the growers. So when a grower signs up with us, they're looking at a, a five-year commitment to some sort of soil health practice. So they can be looking at cover crops, uh, no-till, reduced tillage systems, or maybe even nutrient management. And when they work with us, they're setting up the strip trial. Uh, so we're looking at replications out in the field, and we're helping that grower kind of maintain that for five years, try to adapt the best practices so we can see what changes over time. You know, I think most growers, especially as we look into these higher-quality soils, those things don't change real fast, so it really needs to be that long-term commitment, and that's been a real benefit to see. So we had about 120 growers involved in that. The, the next phase of our program is going to be this associate site program that we're calling it, where farmers can be involved at kind of a lower level. Is that a difficult thing for you when you, when you talk about getting people involved in the process? Is that something that, that you struggle with as far as getting farmers on board? I know you mentioned having a, a little bit of a scaled-back version of the program. Is, is the reason for that just to try and get more people to really start with it rather than diving in deep right away, right off the bat? Yeah, so certainly getting growers involved in the Soil Health Partnership has not been too much of an issue. Um, but what we provide in those full partnership sites is pretty intense research. Uh, and there's a lot of expense and, and effort that goes into that. So 
a lot of soil testing and different things. So part of that is really just trying to, to be able to spread out what we've learned at the same time, still be able to collect some valid research data, but get more farmers involved. We want farmers to be thinking about their soil in a different way. So we're testing things like aggregate stability and water holding capacity and things of those nature. If we go out and discuss that at a field day or something like that, not a lot of farmers know what that is in their soils. So by utilizing this associate program, we can start to involve more farmers in that conversation because we'll help them do those types of tests on their farm. And they can come back and kind of compare that to our data set then. Uh, while at the same time, you know, this whole cover crop management aspect, if we want to look at that in particular, um, is, is a huge, huge deal. As we move into higher quality soils, we can start to see some, some issues that farmers are facing. And we have a long, long way to go to understand the implications of of cover crops on agronomic systems. And this will allow us to kind of really expand that data set as well. So right along the same lines, my question is, you know, what are some of the most exciting things that you've seen so far coming out of the data? And what are items that you are interested in still looking to monitor? Sure, so what's come out of our data? Um, so we're just wrapping up our five years with our first growers. One of the goals of our program was really to be able to provide statistically significant data set. You know, we want a number of farmers out there. We want to be able to really make some good statements about cover crops. So this year at our summit, we discussed um, across the program, we're not seeing uh, much of a positive or a negative in terms of yield, which may sound not too terribly exciting. But at the same time, you have to keep in mind, we have a lot of farmers that, first of all, are brand new to cover crops. We certainly have farmers that are advanced in cover crops as well. And, but we're also in some real high quality soils in, across Indiana, Iowa, and Illinois in particular, and even some of these other states. And then we also have a lot of growers who are already involved in no-till systems, and then maybe they're adding a cover crop system, something like that. So while that, to come out and, and say that we're not seeing a yield drag, but not seeing a big yield increase, that is actually pretty good when we look at some of the management characteristics uh, th that are going on. Where do you want to keep on pushing forward and taking things? The exciting part to me is that we're going to be able to, from, the, from this point, be able to start drilling it down to more of those management styles. So obviously, there's a, a number of different cover crops out there that we can be looking at. Um, so we can start to break down our data set by what types of cover crops these growers have used, what type of management practices they've used, and how that's implicated them, uh, their yields or their inputs or, or anything like that. So that's, that's kind of the next step that we'll be going with our data set that I think will be pretty relative to growers. We can start to break that down by their regions or soil types, what types of cover crops they're using. Is this a volunteer program for farmers to get involved? I mean, is this something that, that they come to you, they want to do this, and, and it's kind of on, you know, if, if there are expenses within their operation to, to shift to a different uh, to different practices, is that is that dollar on them to do that? And then you guys kind of help them out when it comes to the data side of it and, and really seeing and being able to show the data on, on what the changes are and, and the changes that they've made? So this new expansion, um, yes, that would be what we're looking at. So basically what we're wanting to do is find growers who are interested in doing these practices themselves and want to work with somebody to help them uh, get more value out of the data. No, it's really cool. And being able to expand and take some of this knowledge back to the farm, you know, so with all that, you know, for farmers who are interested in trying out some stuff, what's some of your initial, you know, tips or whatever in looking at, you know, we're, we're trying to encourage a lot of different ways where you can improve your soil health. So we've had discussions about um, strip till and about cover crops and whatnot. What's a couple of your initial tips on implementing soil health 
um, as it pertains to our listeners here today? I think the first step is uh, reducing tillage. I think we've seen that time and again that the most successful cover crop adopters are the guys who have already adopted a no-till, strip-till system. Um, gets your soils in that transition state. Some of the, the hiccups that you may run into if you adopt it all at once, you, you kind of kind of take that step at a lower level and kind of get the, your soil aggregation going. You get your soil to transform a little bit before taking on that cover crop step. Uh, at the same time, we have seen farmers take both of them out at the same time, switching from those full tillage systems to both cover crops and no-till. So don't necessarily want to discourage that. But if a guy is really looking to kind of play it safe, I would say kind of adapting that no-till system or in a strip-till system in, in, in corn uh, is, is usually kind of the best first step. And then experimenting, experimenting small, not approaching this. I think a lot of farmers look at cover crops and, and maybe they're farming 3,000 acres and they, they can't envision how they're going to get cover crops on 3,000 acres, so they don't even try. And I don't think that's the right um, the right approach. Figure out how to make it work on 40 acres. And once farmers get started with this, they come up with so many of their own ideas. One of the things we hear all the time is that soil health takes time. You know, once you start to reduce your tillage and work with cover crops, it's not a it's not a first year immediate benefit. So these cover crops and, and no-till and building your soil health takes time. How long would you say on average, and, and maybe that's a complicated answer, but how long does it take to really see the improvements in the soil health that you guys are concentrating on? Yeah, so it is definitely not, uh, it's, it's a journey, you know, to use the cliche or however you want to mention that, but it is that idea that it's a long-term aspect. And what we find is as we go to a higher quality soil, um, that churn can actually take longer. So when we go into some soils that are, you know, guys are, are doing from a soil health standpoint, they're doing a lot of tillage and maybe doing a lot of things that we consider to be wrong, but they're still pulling really good yields. So it's first of all, putting, putting the expectations in line that this is a longer term approach, uh, but they can see those changes and that's the real advantage is it may not be something that plays out on the economic side immediately, but within two or three years of even switching to a no-till system to be able to go out with a grower and at least be able to physically look at the soil. They can see better soil aggregation. You know, I think one of the biggest uh, selling points for a lot of growers now is the heavy spring rains we get. If you can get those guys, they go out and they can drive in those rainstorms oftentimes or right afterwards and they can see how much better their soils are taking the water in. That's something that isn't always, doesn't always play out on the economic side in the first couple of years, but that's something that usually after maybe three or four years of no-till or cover crops, they can at least go out and start visually seeing those advantages. Cleaner water coming off their fields, yeah. less less soil coming off with that with those heavy rainfall events. And then being able to get out in the fields earlier, that's another advantage that a lot of them will see. Um, and we discuss that at field days and events. And you do have to keep in mind that it takes a couple of years. That's not something that happens in that first year. But that is another advantage that those growers can see pretty early on. And, and that gives them real encouragement to take this farther, to take the journey farther down. Yeah, definitely, you know, a recurring kind of tidbit that we keep hearing on the Fieldwork podcast is, you know, you got to really buy in. It's going to take a little bit of time, um, but I think some of the data that you guys are doing can help us to get there. Wanted to hit on that a little bit more thoroughly on what are some of those soil tests that you guys are doing, some of the parameters that you're monitoring uh that way we can evaluate those as well and being able to monitor those improvements in those soil parameters back on our farms yeah so i would say you know soil health testing is still 
kind of in its infancy. It's something that is a new idea. Um, obviously, it's great to walk out in a field, dig a shovel full of dirt, and be able to physically see those differences or, or dig a root pit. But in order to do significant research, we do want objective measurements. Um, so we didn't necessarily go into this uh, with the idea that these were the end-all, be-all going to work in all situations. Our goal is really to research how effective these soil health assessments are. So the first thing to understand is that when we say they are a soil health assessment, they're actually multiple tests. So the Cornell assessment, for example, is looking at, I believe, seven or eight different metrics in the soil. Uh, the Haney test is the same way. It's looking at a couple of different things. So you can't approach these tests with that same concept. It's not like doing just a phosphorus test. You're doing an assessment. But you can look at that assessment and you can break down those individual metrics. So the Cornell test, we're looking at things such as aggregate stability and water holding capacity, active carbon, soil protein. So we're looking at both the, the physical, the biological, and the chemical components. And that's really trying to get um, trying to get your mind as farmers around the fact that we're looking at these different components, not just where our phosphorus and potassium levels are or our organic matter. Because I think that's, you know, historically what we as farmers would look at for our soil health. We think, well, where's our organic matter level at? And that's important, but it's certainly not the whole story. All right, we are talking to Jim Iserman today via Skype about soil health. Are your farmers in general seeing um, a, an economical or financial benefit from from after this five years of implementing different practices? We haven't gone through a huge economic analysis yet. We've collected that data, and we look forward to getting into that. Um, and generally, I'm going to say we're probably not going to see a huge difference at this point across the program. But then once we have the opportunity to maybe drill that down to the farmer level, that will be uh, definitely better information at that point. But on average, like I say, you know, a lot of our growers are pretty new to cover crops. Um, even the growers that are more advanced, we, we face challenges every year. So there can still be that discussion of how effective is a cover crop every year. You know, just getting the seed out there doesn't necessarily mean you gained a lot out of it. And uh, there's, like I say, there's still so much to be done on what are the right recommendations for cover crops. How do we manage for that? So at this point, we don't have a lot of information on that, uh, but very, very interested to see where we go with that in the future. And I think we will have some good information on it. Dialing back up to the whole topic here on looking at soil health, where do you think that, that overall concept, you know, influences farmers and their mindset on uh, as an overview kind of topic and whatnot? where it boils down to, I want to improve my soil health. I want to be able to do things better. Um, how has that message kind of resonated with your people that you're talking with? Um, people coming to field days, people, people come to your farm, or how have you been able to see that overall message really make an impact? I think it's a good message. Um, it certainly is something that's being used a lot. So to some extent, some farmers are hearing it and they're, oh, you know, here's soil health again. Uh, but I think it's important because it does drive home the fact that these are aspects in the soil that we can change. So it's not just about what your inherent quality is. So if I'm on really high quality ground uh, versus the guy on poor quality ground, it's, it's breaking that down to, okay, how can I affect my soil in this situation? So I think that does resonate um, and it gives us that idea that this is something that we can improve. And my soils down in Southeast Iowa are different than yours, Zach, in Western Minnesota and different than Jim's in Northern Illinois. But by just fostering continual improvement, I think we can still move in the right direction. 
um, trying to figure out, you know, what are those real targets that we want to shoot for and how do I really monitor my improvement? How do I show progress that I am getting there? I'm working towards those long-term benefits, uh, but see some information of encouragement as I go about, you know, and see what are those pieces that I can fine tune and, you know, utilizing information, utilizing the testing back on the farm to be able to show here's the steps that we're making. Here's the progress that we've made already. And here's the target of where we want to get to, I think, provide some direction when it comes to soil health, sustainability, regenerative ag, and that all encompassing idea. Yeah. I mean, it's a difficult thing when you're a farmer and economically you have to make it work year to year and being able to see soil health is not always a physical thing. You can't always just walk out there and say, oh yeah, the, you know, the soil looks healthier. So having, having the data to back that up and having somebody stand behind you and, and show you and really be, being able to see the soil health on the numbers is something that, that I know I would personally take comfort in to be able to see that. Us millennials in our data. That's right. <laughs> But no, so that's good. I think I think opens up a, the right conversation to be looking at your soils differently, bringing in the chemical, physical, and biological aspect of the soil, like you said, Jim. You know, looking at things a little bit more thoroughly than what we've done in the past with traditional soil testing. There's definitely not uh, any test that's a silver bullet, that's for sure, or that's going to be the end-all, be-all of soil testing. But I think some more good options that farmers can utilize and uh can bring into their operation. Jim, have you seen that across the rest of your acres that you've been able to now utilize some of the testing and uh, evaluate across your entire operation? I, I think the real power from our program will, will be when that data set is complete and we can, you know, hopefully start to make some more objective measurements and recommendations uh, across the program, but certainly looking at things, you know, the biological side of things is maybe a little bit, a little bit harder to look at. I think that's kind of the test that we've utilized more on our farm as well, because uh, you know the some of those tests have been around and, and are involved in some other programs, and and those can be real valuable maybe if we have those those anchor points, uh, but those may be a little more of a struggle to make those objective measurements. So I think the next step is trying to move into these physical components, which are maybe a little more long lasting, maybe give us some more objective measurements. And I haven't done too much of that on our own personal farm, but I think that's kind of the next step. And, you know, being involved in something like the associate program with SHP that we're able to start, um, it, it is a little bit heavier on those physical components because they are something that uh, lasts for a little while. They're, they're a little more stable throughout the year. So I think that's kind of the, the next basic step for, for farmers to introduce that type of a testing concept. That is Jim Iserman of the Soil Health Partnership joining us today via Skype. Thank you to all the people who helped make field work possible. Amy Scotchless-Cole, Annie Baxter, Dan Ackerman, Lauren Humpert, Todd Melby, Laura Doherty, and Dom DeFerio. Thanks to the engineering team at American Public Media for the technical help and letting us use your awesome studio. And our theme song is written and performed by Johnny Vince Evans. Make sure to check us out online at fieldworktalk.org, fieldworktalk on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, the whole garb. You can find us anywhere you want. Give us a rating if you like what you hear. Check us out uh, anywhere podcasts are available. Five star it up. Let's do it. That's what podcasters say, right? I like it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and stay tuned for more episodes of the Fieldwork Podcast.